through the book of John, the gospel of John, and I've really enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but it's just nice to have some fresh eyes going over the gospel of John as we have, and we're up to about, not quite halfway through, chapter 6 is where we landed uh, last week, so we're going to continue from there, And, and just maybe some highlights, because some people have joined us this week that weren't here last week, but in chapter 6, You've got the, uh, and we talked about the Filipino feeding the thousands, uh, but we, we looked at the small lunch that feeds a crowd. Uh, where are we? There we are. There we are. The small lunch that feeds a crowd. So Jesus fed the 5,000. Now, the 5,000 was the men, so there was women and children too that weren't counted to that figure. So who knows how many? Could have been 10, 15, 20,000. But it was a lot of people with uh, some bread and some fish, right? Uh, but Jesus fed a large crowd, and then we discovered that he can walk on water uh, because the disciples went to cross and uh, without him, and he came to them in the midst of a storm walking on the water, and that was pretty spooky for them, I think, to see. Yeah, I mean, you can put yourself in that situation. You're in a storm, you're on a boat, and here's this person just walking towards you on the water. You're not going to go, oh, fiddle-dee-dee, it's Jesus. No, you're going to be like, ah, what is that? So, so that's an incredible encounter as well. Then we finished up uh, last week where Jesus is addressing the crowd that were pursuing him because he'd done that miracle feeding so many and, and he's, he's gone to another location, but the people pursued him. But we read about how they pursued him for the wrong reasons. So uh, we think they were looking maybe for a follow-up breakfast uh, after the lunch because lunch was great. Well, we want breakfast now. Uh, feed us, Lord. Uh, it says in uh, verse 28 and 29 of John chapter 6, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's the whole reason Jesus is doing these signs and wonders. Not to wow the crowd, but that they would believe that he is the Son of God. That he is God. Three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so that's where we landed. So I'm going to play a video now just to launch into what we're talking about today. So again, let's have a look at the screen. When the people found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Teacher, when did you get here? I'm telling you the truth. You were looking for me because you ate the bread and had all you wanted because you understood my miracles. Do not work for food that spoils. Instead, work for the food that lasts for eternal life. This is the food which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has put his mark of approval on him. What can we do in order to do what God wants us to do? What God wants you to do is to believe in the one he sent. What miracle will you perform so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, just as Scripture says. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I am telling you the truth. What Moses gave you is not the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread that God gives is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Those who come to me will never be hungry. Those who believe in me will never be thirsty. Now I told you that you have seen me, but will not believe. 
Everyone who my father gives me will come to me. I will never turn away anyone who comes to me. Because I have come down from heaven to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And it is the will of him who sent me that I should not lose any of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them all to life on the last day. For what my father wants is that all who see the Son and believe in him should have eternal life. And I will raise them to life on the last day. The people started grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This man is Jesus, son of Joseph, isn't he? We know his father and mother. How then does he now say he came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves! come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And I will raise them to life on the last day. The prophets wrote, everyone will be taught by God. Anyone who hears the Father and learns from him comes to me. This does not mean that anyone has seen the Father. He who is from God is the only one who has seen the Father. I am telling you the truth. He who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert, but they died that comes down from heaven is of such a kind that whoever eats it will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If you eat this bread, you will live forever. The bread that I will give you is my flesh, which I give so that the world may live. This started an angry argument among them. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I am telling you the truth. If you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in yourselves. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. And I will raise them to life on the last day. For my flesh is the real food, my blood is the real drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood live in me. And I live in them. The living Father sent me. And because of him, I live also. In the same way, whoever eats me will live because of me. This, then, is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the bread that your ancestors ate but then later died. Those who eat this bread will live forever. 
Jesus said this as he taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. You can see it's causing a bit of controversy, isn't it? <laughs> so we're going to pick it up at this John chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 30 to 34. I'm reading from New King James if you want to follow in your own Bibles, or it's on the screen for you. So therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna uh, in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. We're talking about real bread. Anyone want some real bread? Yum. <laughs> As if Jesus hadn't shown these people enough miracles already, because they were all part of that feeding of the multitude, the 5,000. They asked for a sign that they could believe him. How many signs do they need? You know, after all, Moses fed their ancestors with um, manna for 40 years. You know, can Jesus do that? You know, you did a lunch, but can we now have a breakfast and then maybe a counter meal for dinner? Whatever. But Jesus could have done that. But Moses hadn't provided the manna. It wasn't Moses. See, they're looking to Moses. God provided the manna. Now, God was giving them true bread from heaven. Jesus himself in the flesh there. But they were missing the point. Jesus was offering them spiritual food because they were desperate for a spiritual feeding. But again, they were not realizing that need. They were just acknowledging the physical, I'm hungry need. So, so Jesus was offering them spiritual food. Manna had to be gathered every day and physical food must be eaten every day. But spiritual food from Jesus, once accepted and believed in by faith, lasts forever. Lasts forever. It's not like the physical food that comes and goes and serves its purpose. You know, the crowd missed the point. They had no clue what Jesus was trying to communicate and they wanted physical bread delivered hot to the breakfast table so that they could be satisfied. And so they were boldly asking for it. Let's read on in verse 35 to 40. It says this, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You can see from as clear as he's explaining, there's no mystery in this will. It's not secrets and codes and he's being blunt about what he came to do, yet the people continue to miss the point. You know, as someone who could top Moses, Jesus claims to be the bread of life and in doing so, he again points to his own deity. When talking with Moses, God called himself, I am, all capitals. 
By using the same name, Jesus is clearly saying, I am the Son of God. He'd come from heaven to provide spiritual nourishment to those who would believe in him. Now, Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the huge crowd, and then he taught that he is the bread of life, a concept, I guess, around Passover, where there's the breaking of bread. This holiday, Passover, celebrates God's delivering from the Israelites from from Egyptian slavery. And the night before they left Egypt, they made unleavened bread because they didn't have time for dough to rise. So that's why they made that kind of bread. And God provided physically for his people back then. And as Jesus provided physical bread and fish for the crowds, he can actually provide spiritual nourishment for us today in the same way. And it's available to us. You know, the crowd could only see the miracles, not the fact that Jesus is God. They were looking for the sensational. They were looking for the the wow factor, the things that Jesus did rather than who he was. And they lacked the personal belief that's necessary for eternal life. But just because they didn't believe, that doesn't mean that God gave up. He didn't give up. He still doesn't give up on us today. Some of us take a little more convincing than others. I mean, I think I'm preaching to mostly the choir in here. But people in our community, he hasn't given up on them, the ones that haven't yet believed in who Jesus is. He is in the business of drawing people to Jesus, people who are spiritually hungry. Our challenge is to bring that awareness to people that there is a hunger deep beneath all the layers. And when they come to him through faith, they can, they, they, they can access salvation. And that's what we're here for. It's great that you've surrendered your life to Jesus if you've chosen to do that and you've asked him to come into your heart. If you've asked him to do that, that's brilliant. But now it's about raising awareness to our community, our friends, people in our sphere of influence that they need a saviour. They need Jesus. Let's continue. John chapter 6, 41 and 42 says, The Jews then complained about him because he had said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? It's that nasty spirit of familiarity. Oh, that's just, that's just the son of a carpenter. That's just, we know who he is. We know his parents. And so they, they have that familiar spirit about Jesus. You know, this is the opposition party speaking up, saying, well, he's nothing special. You know, a prophet's without honour in his own town. Uh, that's the challenge because there's that spirit of familiarity. So who does Jesus think he is to talk this way? That's what they're asking. Who's this young fella, this whippersnapper? I don't know, whatever the older people called young people back then. Who does he think he is? After all, they knew his parents, Mary and Joseph. Maybe some of them had known him since he was a baby. So what's so special about him? How could he say he came from heaven? Verse 43 to 51. Here we go. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting 
life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, and one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So we're talking about a new brand of bread. It's not your, it's not your Woolies $1 loaf. Some of us like that. Jesus didn't try to convince the crowd that he's God. Those who were seeking God would not need more proof because they knew who he was. God would draw them. Those who believe in Jesus will receive eternal life. It's that easy. He offers spiritual food through himself. Note that Jesus didn't try to convince the crowd that he's God. He wasn't there to try and persuade them. He's leaning on and relying on God to draw them. And sometimes we can feel like the onus is on us to convince people. But we've got to remember that there's someone far more powerful than us at play here. Yes, we carry a story and we carry information and we want to share it. And you know what? Your duty is to share the good news, but it's not your duty to convert people. The Holy Spirit comes and God does the conversion. And unless it happens that way, it's fickle. So you might spend forever trying to convince a friend that really means a lot to you that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And you might have a win and you might bring them to church. But unless a true conversion experience happens within their heart, and I'm not telling you what that looks like because it's different for all of us. Some of us have come forward on altar calls and made a declaration. Others have, like me, in our, my bedroom at home, said a simple prayer and have lived for God ever since. It doesn't need to be the big sensational, although it can be. Uh, but the point is, is that you need to have that conversion experience so that it remains. That's when you know it's God has done the work within you. And that's when there's power. Because we have that revelation that there's power in the name of Jesus. You know, again, Jesus explains that he is the bread of life in contrast to the manna which their ancestors ate and which couldn't keep them from dying. I mean, you think they get the point by now, uh, but they didn't. <laughs> and a lot of people today, unlike, not unlike a lot of people today who don't get the point quite yet. But this time he equated the bread to his body, which he would soon give up on the cross so that the world could have life. And this is kind of a turning point now uh, as we read verses 52 to 59, a turning point in what's happening here with Jesus and the crowd. So the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Whoever eats, um, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So the question is, um, and I'm sure the people were asking, is Jesus a cannibal? Because <laughs> when you read that, unless you're a believer and, and you understand the context, 
You're thinking he's a cannibal. He wants us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, which is disgusting when you think of it in that way. So, so Jesus, uh, the Jews are listening to Jesus and they were thinking literally, but Jesus was actually speaking figuratively. He was not promoting cannibalism. So everyone breathe a sigh of relief for that. You know, he, to make himself understood, Jesus added a new twist to the conversation and he's talking about drinking his blood. This phrase, if taken literally, was even more disgusting to Jewish people than the possibility of eating Jesus' flesh. Drinking blood was actually a gross sin forbidden by the law of Moses. But after getting his listeners' attention, because I think that was maybe a technique as well, they were going, hey, wait, what? What did he just say? Drinking blood. Uh, Jesus then explained what he meant. He was not changing the meaning of his teaching. He pointed out, that to get spiritual benefits that he offered, we must take him completely into our lives and rely on him for everything. Just as to get the benefits of the bread, we must eat and digest the bread. We too must eat and digest what Jesus is bringing us in a spiritual sense. Christians down through the ages have participated in a service called communion. And, and we've got our little communions ready um, here. If you haven't got one, they are just out the back through the curtain and to your right and you can grab yourself a communion, and we're going to have communion together at the end of the service. But it reminds us of Christ's gift to us, his body and his blood given on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's why we partake in communion, essentially to remember Jesus and all that he's done. The Jewish leaders began this conversation by wondering how Jesus could be greater than Moses, because obviously the religious leaders uphold Moses' law and hold him in high regard. Jesus climaxed this talk to the people um, by reminding them that Moses and the Israelites who ate manna died. So they're gone. But those who eat Jesus' food will never die, referring to eternal life. So Jesus is indeed greater than Moses, and he wasn't afraid to say so while he was in a synagogue. So Jesus is quite brave. And you could see in the synagogue the controversy, the noise, and I think it would probably be even worse than what they portrayed there. He would have, people would have been shouting him down and wouldn't be following what he's saying. But let's apply this to us. Bread, to benefit us, must be taken into our lives and assimilated. In other words, you take bread, you place maybe butter. I don't know. You've got to have Vegemite on toast, don't you? <laughs> Who has something else on toast? Jam, honey. I'll pray for you. It's got to be Vegemite. If you're an Aussie kid... If you're at Jacqueline's Jam, maybe. Aussie kids have Vegemite on their toast. So you put this on and you eat it and it assimilates. It becomes strength to you until it comes out the other end and we won't go into graphic detail. But it's disposed of and then it's no use anymore. But it gives you strength for the moment. So that's what we do with bread. So by analogy, Jesus must be taken into our lives by faith and assimilated. He must be digested. He, his teachings must come into our heart and into our mind and transform us. It does no more good to look at Jesus and not take him into our lives than it does to take a loaf of bread and not eat it or not put Vegemite on it. That's even worse. It's a big sin. Got to have Vegemite. So think about that. Think about that. Jesus isn't this figure of a person that we need to you know, just know about. We actually need to digest what he brings and assimilate it to our lives and allow it to make positive change and a difference in who we are. That's what it's all about. 
All right, verses 60 to 65. We're nearly there. It's a big chapter, John chapter 6, isn't it? Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Now, I can't understand why people don't like Vegemite either. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. So we're at a point of all or nothing. All or nothing. The crowd faced a huge decision that Jesus' miracles were certainly very attractive. It was appealing to see him do these amazing things. You know, after all, who wouldn't want a free lunch? Let's be honest, who, who would eat a free lunch as long as the food was good? You'd have a free lunch. I went to the Filipinos thing. I had a free breakfast, lunch and dinner for about a month yesterday. It was, <laughs> But we like a free feed. Um, and his teaching was hard and cost a lot to practice. Like the choice to follow him, there was a cost involved. So this greatly offended them. They just wanted Jesus on tap, I think, without any effort, without any requirement on their behalf. They just wanted... And we think we're the generation of entitlement. I think back then they felt a bit entitled. Well, why should we have to change this, jump through this hoop and do this just to please uh, what, and satisfy what Jesus is saying? So the crowd has a choice. Jesus wasn't surprised by their reaction. I don't think Jesus was surprised by much because he's God and he knew what was going to happen. But he already knew which of his followers believed in him and which did not. And like I said, this was a big turning point. So right up to this point, Jesus' popularity is skyrocketing. He's fed a stack of people. He's doing miracles. Everyone thinks he's awesome. But now he's starting to talk about, well, hang on, I'm the great I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give my life one day. And when you start talking about death, people's interest starts to wane now. They're not really interested in hearing about someone who's come and who's going to die. And so his followers now start to uh, decrease now, he even knew who was going to betray him later, and we know uh, what's coming there. Uh, that's more proof that he's God. He, he knew it was all going to happen. Uh, he knew that for a season there was going to be this big noise and all these followers, but then they'd be siphoned out. Because who were who the real believers that want to experience life transformation, and who were the ones that thought that this was the next exciting road trip to go on? So, verses 66 to 71. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Surprise. This isn't comfortable anymore. You mean I've got to change? I've got to do something different? What? Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? He's talking to his immediate disciples now. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. There's no one else. There is no one else. You can go chasing signs and wonders, chase the miraculous, chase the supernatural, but there's no one else but the name of Jesus. As a result of Jesus' teaching, many who claimed to be his followers left. They're like, we're over this. This is too hard. This isn't so sensational anymore. 
And looking at the despairing crowd, Jesus turns to his 12 disciples. He asks them, are you going to go too? Peter had the right idea when he said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? There is no one else. Jesus is the only one who can give eternal life. Not all the disciples agreed with Peter. However, Jesus, that that rarely happened. You can't get 12 people in a room and have them all agree, can you? (laughs) However, Jesus knew that Judas would later betray him. He knew that was coming. And although for now he didn't walk away with the crowd, Judas was there, but he knew what was coming later for Judas. Here's something I want us all to ponder. Jesus wasn't looking for numbers of spiritual scalps. (laughs) He wasn't trying to attract the biggest possible crowd that he could. He didn't care about fame. He didn't care about having a huge following. He didn't want disciples who followed him when it was convenient or when they didn't have anything better to do. Oh, this will do for now until a better gig comes along. He wanted followers who were committed to him wholeheartedly. It was either all or nothing. You're either in or you're out. And the same is really true today. We can't have one foot sort of dabbing in this area and another foot dangling in this area. It's all or nothing. Jesus still wants followers who are sold out to him. Not a lot of people who... uh, He didn't want a lot of people who just warmed chairs, come to church, kept up appearances, said the right things, did talk the right talk on a Sunday, but Monday to Saturday led a different kind of life. He wants people sold out to him and his cause. So how do we apply this? How much are you like the grumbling disciples? My prayer is in, in this church, we don't have them, but they're in the other churches. Uh, that we're all good here. But, you know, the truth is we need to check our attitudes sometimes. So how much are we like the grumbling disciples? When life gets hard and Jesus doesn't meet your expectations, do you want to walk away? You don't have to answer that question. That's a rhetorical question to make you think because we don't want hands going up at that moment unless you, like, feel so convicted that, help me, Jesus. (laughs) But have you been in that place before? where things haven't worked out and you just want to walk away and chuck it all in? Do you want him on your terms or his? There's a good challenge. Are we willing to follow Jesus no matter what? That's our challenge today as the church. Are we here for convenience and then when things don't work out, we disappear and pastors left wondering, well, where have they gone? What have we done? How did we offend them? (laughs) What have we said this time? Or are we sold out no matter what? You know, it's funny, but when times get tough, it tends to be when people disappear from church. But isn't that the exact time they should be flocking to this place to be encouraged, to be loved on, to be nurtured, so we can hold up your hands in your time of discouragement and challenge? But the funny thing is, is that the enemy works in his deceptive ways and he says, oh, you don't want to go to that place, bunch of hypocrites. You know, they're not going to be there for you during your tough season, so just stay away. Because that's what he wants. The enemy doesn't want you coming to church and being victorious in every season of life. He wants you to remain defeated. And one way he does that is that he keeps you home because he deceives you. This church is here to support you no matter what season of life. I mean, I pray, it's like how I prayed today and that wasn't intentional. It just came to me as in our moment of worship that no matter what season we need to be thankful. Whether it's a good season or a tough season, we need to be thankful. Because God is still on the throne. That doesn't change. Just because our life's hard doesn't mean that God isn't there 
for us in that season. It just can feel very challenging when you're in that season, so very, what seems to be so very far away from a breakthrough, and you can get discouraged. I understand that. I've been discouraged before. Pastors aren't impervious to pain. As much as uh, people sometimes think we're, I don't know what they think about us. <laughs> Bruce, you tell me. They, they think we're just these muscle men of God and faith and everything's perfect in our house and nothing goes bad with our families and we're all good. But, you know, we face the same daily grind and challenges that uh, everyone else faces. It's just that we hold an office of pastor. Uh, it doesn't make us any more special. Let's wrap this chapter up. So Jesus fed 5,000 uh, people, plus men and women, with five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus walked on water to help his disciples during a storm. Jesus taught the crowd the necessary, uh, the necessity of believing in him for eternal life by comparing himself to bread that gives physical nourishment. And then most of the crowd walked away from Jesus after his speech. Isn't that encouraging? But his 12 disciples stuck with him. Have a look at the stream as we come to a close. We are often told, God loves you. But what does that really mean? That some impersonal force, galaxies away, may consider you from time to time? Or that you are a single drop in a vast ocean of humanity and God cares for all of it? There are billions of lives, billions of stories. Can we really believe he has great destinies planned for all of them? Surely the ruler of the universe has more important affairs than to notice the needs of one singular individual. But hear this, nothing could be further from the truth. When God says, I love you, it means that he crafted every detail of your being. Your every feature is his perfect design. His mind perceives your worries and your thoughts. His heart is broken by your pain. You are his child, created in his image. Your value exceeds all the riches of earth. Your worth extends beyond the stars. And though you may be unaware, he's carefully constructing the events of your life to build his kingdom. If you are willing, he can and will achieve wonders through your hands. It is the deepest passion, the most meaningful promise. It is your security, your hope, and your future. It is the truth beyond doubt. God loves you. Amen. God loves you. And I know we throw that statement around flippantly sometimes, but I love a video like that that shows that despite the world being filled with millions upon millions of people, there is a God in heaven that loves you specifically. The personal nature of our God can't be denied. And in a moment, we're going to have communion together. But before we do that, I want to give people an opportunity to accept Jesus. And uh, we're not recording today because our camera wasn't playing nice. So people aren't seeing this online, but they will hear the audio when it's uploaded later. You just never know who's going to listen to a service, who's going to respond in a room like this. 
I know when I was 17 and I surrendered my life to Jesus, it was the best decision I ever made. And I so wish I'd done it earlier, but my journey is what it is. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, everything made sense. Before that, I didn't have this radical transformation. You know, some people think, well, I was downtrodden and on drugs and in the gutter and a low life. And and I mean, maybe that's someone's story in the room. It's just not mine. Um, I was actually a good kid. I was brought up with good morals. I was brought up to treat people with respect, all those things. But I, I even went to private schools and went to chapel services and heard about Jesus. But I never knew that it was a personal relationship thing. And the moment I discovered that and surrendered my life to him, wow, man, did my eyes open up. And I've served him all my days ever since that moment when I surrendered my life to him. I realized that I needed a savior. Even though I was a good person, I wasn't good. Because we all sin, the Bible teaches us. We all fall short of God's standard. But that's why he sent Jesus to help us make the standard. You are good enough. Sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, many of us don't feel like we are. But God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. We can't pay the price of our sin. The wages of sin is death. And so we need Jesus who paid that penalty for us with his own life to come through for us. So when you believe in him, this scripture sums it up so well. When you confess you with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be a Christian and you will have an eternity in heaven with him. And the opportunity, not just everlasting life after this life, but to live your best life now. And to share the news, like I said earlier, with people in your world and let God do the transforming in their hearts. So would you bow your heads? I just want to encourage people in this place today. I don't know everyone uh, in the room, but I want to give opportunity, and we do it at every meeting at Vineyard Christian Church, for people just to say yes to Jesus. And it's a simple response by raising your hand. We're not going to drag you out the front. We're just going to pray for you in your seat where you are because God does the transforming in your heart. And that's what we're going to believe for today. So if you're in this room and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, or maybe you have and and you want to make that recommitment today and just surrender your life afresh to the Lord Jesus today, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. Would you pray for me today? I need Jesus. I need more of him in my life. God bless you all. Very good. Well, let's say this prayer together because people listening online when it's uploaded later, you just don't know what God's going to do in their hearts as they listen. So let's, let's pray this prayer together. I, I believe I'm in a room with believers, so let's just recommit our lives to him. Say it after me. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you died and that you made a way for me to be forgiven of all my sin. I confess that you are my Lord. I believe that you were raised from the dead so that I could live a new life with chains broken. The chains of sin are broken and I'm a new creation. So Father God, lead me and guide me as I serve you each and every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,
Amen. Amen. Give God some praise. He's good. <laughs> Be praying about our new building. It's just such an exciting season. And, and because we had surveying done last week, we'll hopefully have maybe some new drawings to show you in the weeks ahead. So it's very exciting. As soon as we get information, we'll share it with you. And we'll certainly give, once we have a plan that we're settled on, that we think, you know what, we think this is it, we're going to have a session maybe after church where anyone in the church can just have comment or ask questions or whatever. Tell us how great it is, whatever. Uh, uh, so we'll, we'll do that. So don't feel like you don't have a voice. That time will come. Uh, so that will be good. But God bless you. God keep you. We're going to have coffee. Oh, we're going to have communion. See, I never have communion at the end, so I'm confused. Everyone's like, I'm like, you want coffee? Okay, have coffee. Let's have communion. We talked about the bread of life. <laughs> Let's not finish yet. Lord have mercy. You can tell your pastor's human. Let's take our little bit of bread. And we've heard today how Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. By eating this bread, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin and the chains of sin could be broken because of his body. So let's take and eat and remember Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And then the juice represents the blood that he spoke of, you know. Drink my blood. <laughs> We're not being cannibals today. We are remembering that Jesus' blood that poured out for you and for me. There's power in the blood, amen? Forgiveness of sin. Let's drink and remember what Jesus has done. Very good. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the power that is in what you've done for us. We thank you that there is no greater power than the power that we find in the name of Jesus. Because you broke your body, your blood was poured out and you conquered sin and death and you rose again victorious, we celebrate you today. We remember the goodness that you've done for us, that you've made a way for us to overcome in this life and the next. So Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we can, now we can have coffee. So God bless you. God keep you. May his Holy Spirit lead you and guide you and bless you each and every day. In Jesus' name. Let's have some fellowship together. Be blessed.